1: and a secret proceedings our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world we must guard
2: against the military industrial complex You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth!
1: The questions you always had.
0: The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition,
1: July 8th, 1947. to listen to part 2 of tonight's interview and all of our material going back to 2008? Don't miss out and subscribe. It's very simple. All you have to do is click on the subscribe button of our website at veritasradio.com and you will receive your login immediately. And have you listened to Sanitas Radio yet? Take a look at all the shows we've done so far and all the upcoming guests. You have no idea what these shows can do for you and your loved ones. You will never hear what they have to say in the mainstream media. I guarantee it. Remember, your greatest wealth is your health. Check it out at SanitasRadio.com And for MMS or our futuristic metal-cased USB drives with all our seasons and bonus material, go to the Veritas store. To get in touch with us, for member support, media inquiries, suggestions, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, Click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com And tonight we have a very, very special episode of Veritas. I'm here with a very special guest. Her name is Judith Very Baker. She's an American artist, writer, poet, and futurist. She's also the author of Me and Lee, How I Came to Know, Love and Lose, Lee Harvey Oswald. If you want to learn more about... Judith Very Baker. Visit her website also at meandlee.com, which is also linked at ours. And directly from an undisclosed location outside the United States, I'm privileged to welcome Judith Very Baker. Hello, Judith, and welcome to Veritas.
0: Thank you very much, Mel. It's Good my, to be here.
1: It's my pleasure. This is such a an important story that not that many people are aware of, Judith, and I think it's obvious to know why. But I think it's very important to to start from the beginning. I like to go in chronological order. I received your book. It's over, gosh, 600 pages long. And I think anybody who interviews you, it would be a disservice to you and to the, the listeners if they don't take the time to read this book. Because if you don't, you really don't know the story. So why don't we start from the beginning? You were born in Indiana. And... What happened next? You were a wizard at school and you all of a sudden were recognized by your by your abilities at a very young age. Why don't you take it from there?
0: Oh, well, when I was um, 15 going on 16, uh, anyway, I ended up at the International Science Fair uh, with a new method for a revised method, really, for getting magnesium out of seawater, and it gave me an opportunity to present to scientists and those reviewing uh, my work there, what I was doing in cancer research. Of course, I needed a lot of help, but I was already uh, given a lot of help um, where I was locally. My grandma had died of cancer, and I had cancerous fish. I would met a a famous doctor, Dr. Alton Oxner, and he encouraged me that it was cancer, and so I had my start there. Well, now I had an opportunity to show these people uh, what I was trying to do and they were impressed with what I'd already accomplished in chemistry. And then when they saw the work I was doing with the cancer, um, also with, because of a man whose name was Knut Mickelson and he was a CIA asset. He'd been a spy in the underground against Hitler and he was a geneticist and a radio biologist. And he had gotten me in contact with, um, with Walter Reed, uh, Institute and with Oak Ridge. But now uh, I, I had renewed um, contacts because of, of him uh, that developed at this time. And so all of a sudden I was getting help from not only from my wonderful high school, which is Manatee High and Colonel Doyle, but at the same time from doctors who were trained at, at uh, Oak Ridge seminars with the uh, help of the CIA's uh uh, interest and uh, participation as well, and so I uh, actually was doing pretty good work considering the fact that I was working in a stadium uh, underneath the stadium uh, on what I was doing. And then I crashed a very important seminar, science writer seminar. Uh, there, I had to. I had work. I had. By the time I was 17, I had figured out how to give cancer to mice. And by the time uh, I was ready to turn, um, well, I was still 17, actually, when they looked at all the materials I had uh, put together, I um, I had to crash the seminar. And so I did, and I went in between two press, uh, some, two reporters, and I'm short, and, and I flashed my press uh, card that was from my high school and, and got in. Here come the police. They were going to get rid of me. <laughs> So I had to do something about that. And uh, I, I just said, please, you know, please listen to me. And from the stage, an august hand said, wait a minute. And they brought me forward. And I showed him what I had. He said, you sit with me. And I was sitting with the vice president of research of the American Cancer Society. And his name is Dr. Harold Deal. He was known for uh, you know, uh, helping young uh, scientists. But I was the youngest. I think he ever helped. And next to him was Sir Robert Robinson, who was a Nobel Prize winner in chemistry. And at lunchtime, I showed them what I had. They were kind of astonished. And then they uh, called Doctor Oxner and Doctor Moore was another one. So you had three doctors here: Doctor Oxner, Doctor Moore, and uh, and uh, uh, Doctor Deal. All three of them had been crusading against cigarette smoking. They were sure that tobacco caused cancer, but they didn't have that much proof. And they went, they saw what I did. They saw that I had given lung cancer with tobacco products to mice in less than, well, it was seven days altogether, seven days. And nobody had done that before. So, they were quite impressed with that. And from there on, with uh, Dr. Robinson, who, uh, Sir Robert Robinson, another Nobel Prize winner, and Dr. Harold Urey. Uh, taught me how to put together um, my research uh, activities better and how to design my projects better. They went over everything I had with a fine tooth cone, showed me how to uh, really uh, do some uh, much better work. Uh, eventually, I was sent to Dr. Moore's laboratory over in Roswell Park, and it was his personal lab. And I also attended there the science. They had a, they had a a seminar like that was held all summer for students. I was in the graduate, the college graduate one. Now, they've messed up those records. I was there in 1961. They said I was there in 62 and that I was a high school student. and None of that is true. I'd already graduated from high school. So to run it fast forward, we end up about... Uh, and I, by 1962, I am 19 years old. In 63, between 60, 1963 and uh, 1961, I received world-class training at Roswell Park. And then I was mentored at the University of Florida, worked with melanoma in the newspapers. We have all the reports. Uh, I was uh, assigned to try and make cancer more deadly. And at the time, I was told that, you know, yes, do this work. You know, get to be an expert on making cancer more deadly because that way you'll be helping us to find out how we can conquer cancer if we can learn how to make it
1: more deadly. Let me go back in time and still to go in chronological order. Sure. First of all, your grandmother passed away of cancer. Yes. Was she the catalyst for you to go forward and and really look into a cure?
0: Oh, suffering that I saw my grandmother go through. And not only that, but my aunt had been cured of cancer, but at the cost of, well, they they thrust radioactive materials, you know, between her legs, and they burned everything out, and, uh, you know, from then on, she was never herself again. I mean, she was always in pain the rest of her life, so obviously, their cure didn't manage to give her a quality life, and all around me, I saw people suffering from this. I couldn't understand uh, what I uh, realized the nature of cancer, and to this day, I, I have to tell you, we have not done what we should in the cancer research area. Big pharmacy, pharma, uh, pharma has taken over. Excuse me, I'm kind of tired. I've had a couple of uh, interviews, as yeah. you know, and the the progress we've made in the last five decades toward the cure of cancer is ludicrous, absolute ludicrous. We haven't uh, accomplished anything like what we could have. We have avoided working in the proper areas. But how For old example, were you? We were, how
1: yeah. old were you when you saved uh, Miss Molly's baby fish?
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I was 14 years old, and when I had Miss Molly, it was a uh, black Molly uh, fish. You know, They're, they they uh, are viviparous; they bear their young alive. And here. I thought what she, she had babies. Well, she did, but what she did also have is a huge uh, cancerous tumor, a pro- probably was a uterine ca- uh, tumor. Uh, I had to rip her open with a razor blade and get the babies out when well, it was obvious she was dying, and, and um, I saved the babies, and uh, I saved her cancerous tissue in alcohol. And lo and behold, the baby's got cancer too. Now I realize I had something I had, and of course, how to determine that it was cancer. That's where Dr. Oxner came in and and helped me there. So it started quite early. I I even missed my uh, junior prom, you know, to go to various science fairs. I missed my senior prom. My if you look at my. Picture in the yearbook, my hair is all done up funny, like a what is that? Well, I'm wearing a hairnet because I was they I, they called me in. I was working in my own lab, and barely got time to have my own picture taken for the yearbook. So I looked like a you know some kind of nurse or something. My hair all pulled back and everything. So I spent a lot of hours on that. Even though I had boyfriends and and tried to have fun, have a normal life, I was dedicated. I wanted to cure cancer, and frankly, I feel that way to this day somebody put me in a lab, I would do something now. What happened
1: at uh, at the school, Manatee High School, that uh, did it become too dangerous to do cancer research? And that's why nobody at the school ever did research with white mice and cancer again?
0: Well, not only there, but um, after, yeah, they all came to my school, looked at what I did, looked at all the materials, and they shut my lab down. And uh, frankly, uh, I'd probably come across a, a deadly virus that was causing the cancer. And it was exacerbated by the, um, or triggered by the tobacco smoke uh, aerosol that had created. And these were germ-free mice. So they had picked up something, and they were, you yeah, know, they shut that lab down. And probably a good thing that they did, matter of fact. Uh, but there we are. We had, you know, they've got a, a young girl here, and she's giving cancer to mice, lung cancer. They're interested in lung cancer. And lo and behold, Fife end up, as you know, after a couple of years of working uh, and getting uh, quite a hand, really, and being able to handle almost any lab technique you can imagine you know, in that area, I'm uh, asked to come to New Orleans.
1: You uh, were a devout Catholic, and you almost became a nun. What stopped you from becoming a nun? <laughs>
0: Oh, my, nobody's ever asked me that before. You know, I mean, they've read the book, but... We, well, yeah, I, I the doctors had told me I couldn't have children because of a uh, dreadful uh, series of, of uh, problems I had when I was a little girl and I was in a hospital for almost a year and a half altogether and operations and so on. And So I wanted, to me, trying to cure cancer was the most important thing of all, and it wasn't wouldn't be right the way I had been trained and raised as a Catholic to marry someone, and they could never have children. So when I was at uh, at this time at St. Francis College, which was close to the University of Chicago, that's where I intended to go as soon as I uh, could, um, accidentally I, I'd be, received many, many scholarships, but somehow I I, I didn't realize that University of Chicago you had to fill out (laughs) application forms. I mean, all these opportunities to go to college and I never filled out a form for anybody. Uh, And uh, so I didn't get in that semester. I said, okay, I'll go to the university. I mean, St. Francis, you know, instead and be there a few semesters. Then I'll get into university of Chicago. That was my plan. Well, here I am there. And I got so influenced by these wonderful nuns and, uh, Sister Mary Veronica was one of them, but there were actually uh, several others. And I uh, presented a paper at the Indiana. It, it was a anyway, it was a paper about uh, melanoma and melanogenesis. And uh, I wrote home and said, I'm going to become a nun because they told me I can. They'll put me right through college, and I'll, I'll be able to devote entire my entire lifetime trying to get a cure for cancer. Well, my dad came and got me out of there, and he was so angry. He never was really a good Catholic. He was forced to pretend to become a Catholic because otherwise my Hungarian family never would have let let him uh, stay married to my mother. Mm -hmm. They had eloped. So he was just a nominal Catholic. Well, he gave me all kinds of anti-Catholic literature when he got me out of there.
1: He, he actually kidnapped yeah,
0: you. Yeah, he kidnapped me, yes. Yeah. And he said, I'm going, and if you, you know, if you try to go back, I'll have the police arrest you. I'll put you in handcuffs. You belong to me at that time. The law was uh, until you're 21. Your you're dad, minor. your mom, they had the control of you. Yeah. So there I was. I was trapped. They locked me up on in an, on an island. They had money. They could do that. And my dad said, you're going to run my business. You're not going to go anywhere. And, oh, I, dear God, I did not want to know what to do. And I did. I lost my faith. I thought, here, I've I've offered my life to God, and he doesn't even have the power to stop, you know, who doesn't care. It was a heartbreaking uh, moment in my life, a watershed moment. I became an atheist because all my prayers, instead of being answered, you know, ah, here I am, God, and what happens? <laughs> God didn't want me, therefore there is no God, you know. So that was rather primitive thinking on my part. I'm really grateful now that uh, that didn't happen. I went on, as you know, later in my life to have five children, and and I'm I'm glad that they were brought to the earth. They've been wonderful people. But let's face it, uh, I was very embittered, and I, I was trapped. And my aunt Elsie, the one who had been cured of cancer, and my grandpa, who was dying of lung cancer at the time, uh, their hearts were torn by what had happened, and, and they got me out of there. They contacted, through Colonel Doyle, Senator Smathers, who had previously offered me a full scholarship at University of Florida. So, anyway, Smathers made sure I got into university, but it was late. It was almost, oh, gosh, it was February 8 or t- 9 or 10, somewhere in there, way into the semester and, or trimester, and I really shouldn't have been there. And legally, of course, I should have failed if I put into the records. But they rigged up the um, computer and got me in anyway.
1: So you have met uh, Dr. Alton Oxner already at that uh, convention that you, quote-unquote, infiltrated.
0: Yeah, that was my second time to meet him, yeah.
1: Right. So then one day you... Received the phone call. How did you get from Florida? And by the way, what a coincidence that uh, Ed uh, Haslam, the author of uh, Dr. Mary's Monkey, <laughs> also lives in Bradenton, Florida.
0: He moved there after writing his book. It's just remarkable. He didn't know anything about me when he moved there. Ended up at Bradenton. And it's like the hand of God because yeah. he had the opportunity then to look up all the records, all the news, the original newspaper articles. He knew I'd, none of it had been faked or anything like yeah. And it was really hard for people, you know, many years later to say, oh, come on. What do you mean she was doing cancer research? And
2: Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com.